Hello, and welcome to today's edition of Tabernacle Today, a podcast maintained by the Tabernacle located in Danville, Virginia. The following sermon is by Eddie McDonald, music pastor at the Tabernacle, and was recorded during our Sunday morning service. Additional information about the Tabernacle can be found at our website at www.thetabernaclefamily.org. Our prayer is that you will be blessed by the Word of God today. Turn in your Bibles as we join Eddie for another edition of Tabernacle Today. He is worthy. Amen. Amen. Well, um, I am Pastor Eddie, and I'm the music pastor here at the Tabernacle, and it is my distinct privilege and honor uh, to be asked by Dr. Campbell to preach this morning. Um, It is um, with rightful great trepidation that I stand in this pulpit. Um, Besides the, um, the task of preaching in the stead of our, our beloved pastor, um, handling this word, this word of truth. Um, God's word says to um, Paul, as he's writing, uh, Paul is writing to Timothy, God's word records for us that, um, that Paul tells Timothy to entrust this to faithful men. And I pray that I am faithful this morning as we open up God's word. Um, So um, I, uh, as I was considering, thinking about what I would preach on this morning, um, I landed in the book of Ephesians. You can start turning there if you like in your copy of God's word. Um, And uh, as I was considering the text uh, of where we're going this morning, I was reminded of a, um, a beloved children's book. And maybe some of you have read through um, C.S. Lewis's The Chronicles of Narnia. And if you haven't, I would highly encourage you to do so. It is, um, it is a classic, um, all seven of the books. Um, although, personal opinion, the last one gets a little weird theologically. Um, but uh, that, is set, that, that aside, uh, most, if not all, of the books can be said to be allegories, which are just stories Um, that are capturing for us spiritual truths. And the first book in the Chronicles that C.S. Lewis penned was the the Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. It's the second book in all seven, but in terms of what he wrote, this is the first book that he wrote. And um, in it, all of the characters are, are familiar to us in their representation. So, of course, the main character, Aslan, is a representation of Jesus Christ. And he is, Aslan in the book, is the son of the emperor across the sea. And that should kind of cause us to start thinking in terms of biblical theology, oh, that must then represent. God the Father, and God the Father sends the Son to save the land, save those who will believe, who will follow after the Son. And that's exactly right. In the book, that's what we see, is that the emperor across the sea sends Aslan, his son, to save Narnia, this imaginary world in C.S. Lewis's mind. And so um, to herald the coming of Aslan... Um, to tell Narnians that, that Narnia that has been under the grip of the white witch. Anybody want to guess who that represents? Satan, that's right. So the, her grip is loosening because Aslan is on the move. Ooh. 
right? And we can't wait to see Aslan because we know that if the emperor has sent Aslan and everybody's been longing to be loosed from this iron grip of this evil one, he's going to set all things right, Aslan will. And so, so to herald his coming is another character that comes on the scene, familiar to us in America by the name of Santa Claus, but in Great Britain known as Father Christmas. And so there's this scene where Father Christmas comes in and he's declaring that Aslan is coming. Now, that should ring a bell, too, because we know of somebody in the Gospels who also came declaring that Messiah was coming. Who was that? John the Baptist. That's right. And so in this make-believe world, as a, an allegory, just standing in the place of you have Father Christmas um, heralding the coming of Aslan. There are four children in this story, uh, Peter, Edmund, Susan, and Lucy, and Father Christmas is not only bringing, um, uh, uh, bringing news that Aslan is coming, but he also is uh, bringing gifts to hand out to the children, because specifically, they've been called to Narnia to lead, to help lead a rebellion against the White Witch. So in order for you to engage in battle, you need to have, you need to have tools for that battle, right? And uh, there's this scene in the book that I want to read to you. It's, it's a beautiful scene. So, so Father Christmas is there and all the animals, they talk. And so the children are being led by Mr. and Mrs. Beaver to the stone table where they're going to meet Aslan. And if you're like, this is really weird, you got to read the book. Um, so it's okay. I, 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 hang with me. So Father Christmas turns to Peter and says, Peter, Adam's son, said Father Christmas. Here, sir, said Peter, these are your presents was the answer. Watch this. And they are not tools. They are not, they are tools, not toys. The time to use them is perhaps near at hand. Bear them well. That just stuck with me, brothers and sisters, when I was considering today's passage, because you and I, as followers of Jesus Christ, have been given tools by God in order to fight the good warfare, we are in a spiritual battle, but oftentimes I, I fear that the church enters into this, this spiritual battle unprepared. In other words, we forget that we have tools gifted to us by our Heavenly Father, and yet we forgot them at home. We don't, as Father Christmas tells Peter, bear them well. Well, this morning, as we get into our text, we're in Ephesians chapter four, and I want to look, as our title slide says, I want to look at these tools, not toys, that the church has been given. And so, if you would, I want to back it up just a little bit so that we can get a little uh, running room. So we're in Ephesians chapter four, Ephesians chapter four, and I'm starting from verse one, and we'll read through to verse 16. Paul writes, I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. 
There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to one hope that belongs to your call. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and father of all who is over all and through all and in all. But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, it says, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives and he gave gifts to men. In saying he ascended, what does it mean but that he also descended into the lower regions, the earth? He who descended is the one who also ascended far above all the heavens, that he might fill all things. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ until we attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness in deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head into Christ, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped. When each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Tools, not toys. Will you pray with me? Father in heaven, I thank you so much for this privilege to proclaim your truth. And I ask, Lord God, that you would speak through me and that I would say neither more nor less than what you've laid on my heart and that I would not go beyond your word nor neglect to say what your word says. And I pray that when all is said and done, we may rejoice in the preaching of your word and be excited to do what it says to the furtherance of your kingdom and to your glory. In Jesus' name I ask it. Amen. Amen. Well. There are four things that we're going to look at this morning from the text, and I'm primarily zeroing in on verses 12 through 16, but I want to back it up. And for the you note takers, let me just share with you our four main points that we're going to look at, and then that way we have a little bit of um, uh, uh, runway as we get into the text. So we're going to look at why the body needs these gifts, how long the body uses these gifts, Thirdly, we're going to look at what is avoided by using these gifts. And then fourthly, what is the result of using these gifts? So it's all centered around these gifts that we've received, um, why we need it, how long we use it, what is avoided by using it, and the result, the end result of using what God has given to us. Now, by way of the text and the introduction to it, Ephesians is neatly divided into two parts. And uh, for you Bible scholars, you probably know this already, that, uh, that by, um, by all accounts from most commentators, Ephesians is the Mount Everest of the prison epistles just a juggernaut in theology. You could say that it's sort of the cliff note version of the book of Romans. So if you're looking to tackle a book and you're like, well, try Romans, and you're like, ooh, that's a little too heavy. Maybe go with Ephesians. Um, so Ephesians divide, divides neatly into two parts. On the one hand, you have doctrine, 
what it is that we believe as Christians, who God is and who we are in our desperate need of a savior because as Ephesians 2 rightly points out that we used to be, well, let's just face it, wretches as the hymn says, right? Rebelling against a holy, righteous God. And yet, Despite all that, God in his grace sends Jesus Christ to save us. Ephesians 2 um, verses 8 through 10 should easily be on the tip of our tongues, right? That is by grace you are saved through faith and that not of yourselves, it's the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast, right? This, this high calling that we have, this is, this is what we believe, but... Then in the second half, so that's verse chapters one through three and chapters four through six, we have then the duty doctrine, what we believe. But now in light of what we believe, we need to get busy, don't we? There's work to be done that God has called us to. If indeed you're in Christ, if indeed you've trusted in Jesus as your Lord and Savior. And that's exactly what we see when he starts this chapter. Look at it with me. Verse one, I therefore, anytime you see that word, therefore, you need to go back and see what it's there for, right? So in light of the doctrine, in light of what God has done for us through Christ, therefore, Paul, this prisoner, he's writing this from jail. And very quickly, he says, couple of different things I want us to see before we jump into verse 12. First, that he tells us to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you've been called. In other words, you've been called to be a Christ follower. Now act like it. Act like it. And we would expect that. Um, as Christians, we've heard that time out of mind. If we're truly in, then there's going to also be, we read in this text, unity in the body of Christ. We're going to have the same mind, same, same heartbeat. We see this also in Philippians chapter two. For you note takers, you might want to jot that down, right? If there's, if there's any love, any compassion in Christ, and of course the answer to that is, is there? Yes. Therefore then, walk in such a way. In other words, we are to be of one heart, one mind, walking together as we pursue Christ and we make his glorious gospel known to the ends of the earth. Then we see that every believer has been given a spiritual gift unique to himself or herself. When you accepted Jesus Christ, God gave you a gift, a spiritual gift. Now, it's kind of like looking at, um, if, if you remember from Galatians, we read about the, the works of the flesh. And then we see also the fruit, singular, of the spirit. And what does that fruit singular look like? And then he explains it's love, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, and so forth, right? Same is true here. Yes, there are different components of your gift, but I love this. There is a, there's a, a palette of all different types of spiritual gift colors, if you will. And God, when he considers you, he, when you trusted in his son, he says, now, hmm, for Rachel's gift, I think I'm going to do a little of this and we'll get a little bit of that. And I want her to have a whole mess of that. And then he paints this beautiful gift picture and then he gives it to you and says, now I want you to use this gift to my glory and honor for the benefit of all the brothers and sisters that you just got adopted into this family. I want you to use this 
there. Now go and do it. Now, this is going to look different for every person. If we look at Romans chapter 12, we understand that those gifts come, that the gift comes in differing measures. So in other words, God doesn't give everybody the same gift nor the same amount of gift. Does that make sense? Right? Because that's his prerogative. He can do that because, well, he's He's God. There it is. Right. And so it doesn't do any good for me to sit there kind of like a, a, a little spoiled kid at Christmas looking at his sibling going, hmm, why she had to get that. I deserve it more. Right. No. What do we deserve, brothers and sisters? deserve judgment, right? We deserve death, hell. That's what we deserve. So anything above that is gravy, isn't it? It's grace. God's riches at Christ's expense. So God gives us, gives to each one of you a special, unique gift for you to be used right here. But that's not all he gave us. One of the things that Paul talks about, and I wish we had time to go into it, but then he explains the, the fact that though these, with all these gifts, they're sovereignly given, so seeking them doesn't do any good. God gives them, that they're part of God's plan, so they have to be used, and that they're from God. So in that, I can't boast in what I have. God gave it to me. Then he talks about how Jesus, Jesus is able to give the gifts. According to Old Testament prophecy, he's the one who fulfilled everything in the law so that now he has the authority to give those gifts. And as we read in Matthew 28, he also has then the authority to tell us to now go, use them, do it, do the work. Now we get into the meat of it. So those are the individual gifts that we see in the first part of Ephesians 4. And then he starts talking about the corporate gift. In other words, individually we received a gift from King Jesus, but now corporately all of us, the body of Christ, received gifts. Look at it with me in verse 12. He says, to equip the saints, these, or verse 11, he gave apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers. These are the corporate gifts he gave to all of us. Kind of like a family gift in our family during Christmas. Anybody excited about the cooler weather? Oh, man, I love it. Oh, yes, s'mores are right around the corner. I can't wait. Um, but uh, behind, right beyond that is Christmas, and we just we love celebrating Christmas in our family. And um, a tradition in our family, um, no, you're not going to read it anywhere in Scripture, so don't ask, um, is the pickle gift. Anybody heard of the pickle gift? Right? I mean, maybe you do the pickle gift, but you just don't call it the pickle gift. But the whole family gets a gift, right? Only we hide a pickle and know it's not real because that would be gross and moldy. Um, so we hide the pickle and everybody tries to find the pickle gift um, on, on, on Christmas morning. And whoever finds the pickle gift gets to open the family gift. But it's a gift to everybody. Isn't God good to his family? He gives us a corporate gift. What is that gift? Well, first he mentions apostles and prophets. I don't want to spend too much time here, but it's important to note that these are the groundwork that God gave to his church as, as the gospel was being proclaimed and God's word was being penned. So apostles, as we've studied before, 
and uh, Pastor laid out for us as we started our uh, Colossians series. Apostles are sent ones, and in this context, Maybe a better way of thinking about it in your mind is capital A apostles. This is a specific office in the church. God gave those 12 plus one, if you remember, Paul as one untimely born, he writes in 1 Corinthians 15, is that apostle to the Gentiles. And so these apostles were doing three things. They're laying the foundation of the church. They're receiving and declaring and they're writing God's word. And they're confirming that word through signs, wonders, and miracles. That office closed with the finish of Revelation and the death of John. There is no more writing of God's word. We have his word in total. So, little footnote, anybody who comes along saying, oh, but I have more to add, I'll just, we can already immediately call that person a heretic because that's not true. There is no more to add to this book. It is complete and perfect. Amen? Amen. So, if that's the case, then we have to acknowledge that even though there are some out there who call their leaders apostles, that is not in the sense that's used here. And there's no apostolic succession. It ended with John. And so we have everything complete here. The same is true in the office that he mentioned secondly, which is the office of prophet. So this office appears in the scriptures, you'll see, especially in Acts, unique to local congregations. Another thing to note is that they were subject to other prophets. You get this if you read through 1 Corinthians, where there was a test to be, for these to be put through. But ultimately, and don't miss this, that those prophets ended up ultimately having to be tested by the word. By the word. By the apostles' teachings. Their doctrine. So either way... This ended once the word was complete. There was no more need to ask or to have any, any interaction between other prophets because now here's what we get to do. Somebody says something, declares some quote-unquote word of truth, and what do I do? I say, hmm, I'm not so sure about that, brother. Let me, let me see. Okay, yeah, no, you're right. Now, funny enough, this is what we're actually declared to do, right? We're commanded to do this. John tells us in 1 John chapter 4, verse 1, to test the spirits. So understand this, that I take no offense and no self-respecting pastor that loves God and his word is going to take offense when you sit there with his word and you're double-checking me. In fact, I encourage it. In fact, I would say that if you're not, maybe you're falling asleep. And I don't know if jumping jacks will help keep your attention. But I would ask that if there's one thing that will keep your attention, it's making sure that this guy knows what he's talking about. So I'm going to study the word. The Bereans there in Acts 17 were more noble than the rest. Why? Because it wasn't enough for Paul to declare the word. They are going to hear that and they're going to say, let me go and check the word to see if these things are so. This ended when the word was penned, and when it ceased, these offices of apostle and prophet, it was, if you will, replaced with the next two. And this is where we pick up in our next slide. The evangelist and the shepherd. Now, evangelist, just real quickly, the work of an evangelist is to preach and explain the gospel, the good news of salvation by faith, through faith, 
in Jesus Christ. The way Paul is using this is as a specific office in the church. In other words, there should be within the body of Christ, every local body, somebody who fills that role, who we point to, like there's a massive evangelistic event. We need somebody who is gifted, skilled at that. Now, while there's an office, does that mean that I get off the hook for not sharing the gospel? Yes or no? No, I don't get off the hook. Do you get off the hook? No, because you've been, you've been commanded, all of us, go and make disciples of all nations. So there's no way to say, well, yeah, but we've got, a, we've got an evangelist in our ranks, so he'll do the work. No, 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 no. It doesn't, there's a special gifting, a special calling, and this is what Paul is talking about here. So this is one of, this is the third gift that God gave to his body, to us, is evangelists. But secondly, we see shepherd teacher. Now, the and that's used here in our English translation can also be translated that is or in particular. So please don't miss this. The word teacher that you have in your translation actually explains the word shepherd. So we could say a shepherd that is a teacher. Shepherd emphasizes the care, the protection, the, the leadership for the flock of God, whereas teacher is one of his primary roles. For you note takers, jot down 1 Timothy 5, 17. Now, I just have to have an aside. No, I wasn't paid to say this, but aren't you glad for an amazing shepherd teacher and Dr. Campbell? He so cares for God's flock here at the tabernacle. There is no mistaking that he loves us deeply. He feels our wounds. He rejoices with our victories. That is what a shepherd does, brothers and sisters. And he teaches. We also read there in the pastoral epistles that, that for, the, for, for those that are worthy of double honor, they're going to study this book. I so appreciate our pastor as I walk by. And he always has, he's got the double door on his office, right? And he always has the one open. So as you're walking by, you see him at his desk just pouring over the word. Brothers and sisters, we are gifted here at the tabernacle with a shepherd teacher, and I don't want you to miss that. That is God's gift to the local body church and to the body as a whole, which is why, mark this, it's incredibly important as a, as a body. I love the fact that we are involved in, in terms of our giving to organizations and missionary movements where they are seeking to equip pastors because we are desperate for more pastors around the world, more shepherd teachers that are going to likewise love and care for the flock and teach sound doctrine. Now, first point, why the body needs these gifts. Look at verse 12. The reason why we need these gifts, both individually and corporately, is to equip the saints for the work of the ministry for building up the body of Christ. So let me talk about this word equip here. It literally means perfecting, and it's done through prayer and teaching, through prayer and teaching. So you, you see that up here, prayer and teaching under the equipping. This is what a pastor does for you note takers. Actually, let's go there. Hold your hand there and go back to Acts, the book of Acts. And it's a familiar passage, Acts chapter 6. And this is a, a, a tricky time for Christ's bride. Um, it's just been birthed, and now they have a little bit of growing pains because you'll remember 
that the Hellenistic Jews are being left out of the um, of the giving of the of the passing out of food. The Hellenistic widows and um, and the, the Hebrew widows seem to be getting a little bit more. And so th- this complaint comes to the apostles and the apostles, Peter speaks up and he says, listen, 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 it is not right that we should give up preaching the word to serve tables. Now, you've heard this preached before, so I don't want to spend too much time, but I do find it interesting. Some people will look at that and they'll say, well, that's pretty arrogant. It's not arrogant, brothers and sisters, because remember, this is their calling. Remember on that palette that, that Christ was painting the picture, the gift? And so as part of Peter and, and the boys, their calling, he says, this is your gift. You're to proclaim my word. I'm calling you out. And he did that three years prior. Remember, follow me, he said. So for him to do something other than what Christ called him to do would be what? I think I heard it. It'd be disobedience, right? He, he wouldn't be obeying Christ. I find it interesting that a lot of churches, they demand so much of their pastors when really what they ought to be doing is saying, pastor, pastor, we got that. This is why we have deacons. We, we can do that, pastor. We appreciate that. But you go back over there and, and do, what does he say? He says to, we don't want to give up the preaching of God's word. Let's follow along. Look at verse 13 real quick. Therefore, brothers, pick out from among yourselves seven men of good repute, full of the spirit and of wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty. But watch this. We will devote ourselves to prayer. You see it there on the on the screen and to the ministry of the word, the teaching. And that, brothers and sisters, again, as you see on the screen, is never apart from sound doctrine. Pastor, I want you to study God's word and to make sure that you know it because on Sunday I need to show up so that I can be equipped with God's truth so that I can go out there and do battle so that I can better wield this sword. Does that make sense? Praise God. That's exactly what we're gifted with here at the tabernacle. But a lot of churches don't have that. And in fact, I would argue that this is one reason why the church in America is weak. I'll use the church in quotes because there are some that call themselves church, but there is nobody saved in that building. You know what I'm saying? And so there's a high calling that's placed on these pastors. And so Peter's doing just that. So this calling to prayer and teaching is both corporately and it's also individually. In other words, have you been called to prayer, brothers and sisters? Yes. Pray without ceasing, God's word says. That's exactly right. And are we called to study God's word? Absolutely we are. So this idea here in this equipping that what, what the, the evangelist, the, 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 the shepherd teacher is supposed to do is to move saints from sin to obedience. Do you see that? So, or if it, maybe another word that would be better used instead of obedience is to maturity. So think of, and Pastor Danny has shared this before, think of a coach and a player. That coach is trying to bring that player to, its, to his or her fullest potential. He sees something in that player and says, no, I think you can go one more lap. Ah, oh, coach, I don't know if I can do that. Or I want you to do one more rep. I, coach, I don't know if I can do that. Or let's, let's, let's do one more set. Ah, just, 
there's something that coach sees in that player, right? And what I love about the way Pastor Danny described it is that he's a, he's a player coach. So he's not just coaching from the sidelines, he's in the thick of it. And there's one thing you can say about Pastor Danny, he's in the thick of it, amen? I love that. That's what's going on here. And God says, is the purpose of this shepherd teacher, of the evangelist, is that they are to equip the saints to go from immaturity to maturity, from sin and disobedience to obedience. Prayer is the privilege of the pastor, and teaching is always in view of sound doctrine. Well, this equipping leads to two things, as you can see on the screen. The first thing, let's look at that. It's same, same verse, verse, four, verse 12, equipping leads to faithful work. Do you see that? He says, to equip the saints for the work of the ministry. Now, it's clear from the way that the original language has this constructed, that God intends, watch this, direct responsibility of service to be joyfully shouldered, not by the evangelist or the shepherd teacher, but by those that are being equipped. In other words, by the body. Do you see that? So they are to equip the saints for the work of the ministry. So don't miss this. Faithful equipping, prayer, teaching, results in the body doing the work of the ministry. The biblical model is that as the church is equipped, and don't miss this, is yielded to that equipping. In other words, we don't sit of a Sunday with our arms crossed and say, all right, pastor, impress me. Although you would think sometimes that's exactly what happens. Maybe not in word, but in an attitude. Sometimes we have glory days have gone by or some pastor that we, that we hear that we think is maybe more dynamic on YouTube or whatever. And so we're sitting there saying, ah, yeah, it was all right, but it wasn't like this guy. Wait a minute. Was he faithful to the word? Does he care for you? Because the comparison isn't with one another. When you start doing that, brothers and sisters, when we start doing that as a congregation, we're no better than the Corinthians and they got shellacked by the Holy Spirit through Paul right? Who themselves are saying, well, I follow Paul. Oh yeah, well, I follow Peter. Oh yeah, well, I follow Jesus, dragging his name through the mud of that kind of division. May it not be said of us. May it not be said of us. So as we are yielded to that equipping, we're receiving that word that Pastor Danny preaches Sunday after Sunday, from within a church raises up pastors, deacons, teachers, etc. Why? Because all that equipping is happening right here of a Sunday and throughout the week, and then from within leaders rise up. And then this person says, you know what? I think I, I, think I need to be a preacher. And what does Paul say in 1 Timothy? He who desires that desires a what? A good thing. And we rejoice with that. Or I, I feel like I, I'm, I'm being drawn to, to be a teacher. And we say, I see that in you. That's awesome. You should do that. Or somebody with the gift of helps just, just always in there. And, and, and a high, just, just incredible uh, righteousness, righteous living uh, as, he, as he interacts with brothers and sisters in the community. And we're like, you know what? Have you considered serving in, uh, among, as, as a deacon, 
Because all of your brothers and sisters see this in you. And uh, yes, I think I, I think I would. We rejoice in those things, brothers and sisters, because why? True equipping is happening in our ranks. But not just that. Look at number two. He says equipping is also internal construction. Do you see that? In the text, it says, for the building up the body of Christ. Now, just a note. External construction is growth in numbers, right? We're just adding to, right? When you, when you have that addition on, the, on, on, your, um, on your house because you, you need a dance floor with a disco ball. I'm just kidding. Just seeing if you're awake, right? Um, what, that's external. So growth in numbers. This would be from evangelism. Right? As we share the gospel, people get saved. Pastor Joey mentioned that we need helpers for, um, for the, the Fall Fest. And if you haven't signed up, please, please, I beg you, sign up. We need your help because we're hoping that we'll have a, a mess of people here. And in particular, we're hoping that we'll have the opportunity to share the gospel with some of those that are lost. And you're part of that work. You see that, right? So that's external. We're, we're adding on. But that's not the focus here in our text. He says to equip the saints for the work of the ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ. That building up is internal construction. That's the focus. This is the growth of the inner man or woman. This is from the teaching of the word and the obedience of the saints. Now, let's just get to practicals. So this is my first application point for, for the sermon today. God has gifted the church, this church in particular, with a plurality of elders. We are very blessed. There are, there are many churches, and a lot of you know it because you visited them or you've come from them. There are many churches where there is only one elder in that building. They don't even have lay elders. And um, those guys are on the front lines. So we are very, very, very blessed here at the Tabernacle. And since God has gifted this church with a plurality of elders, as the elders, your pastors, endeavor to pray and teach the word, my question is, are you using your gifts and being built up? Are you receiving that word with joy? Are you here every Sunday to be equipped or to just punch in? Right? Are you here as, as an armchair quarterback and, and you'll, you got your scorecard and, uh, well, Danny just won quite on it today. Really? I, 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 where is the calling for scorecard keeper in the sermon? No, it's not third Hezekiah. Um, it's, you, you get where I'm saying, where, where we're going with this. So this includes passively tearing down the body. When you don't show up, to do the work of the ministry that you've been equipped to do. Other people have to pick up that slack. Now, I don't know what that is that you've been called to do, but I do know this, you've been called. And so the question is, are you doing it? Because if you don't, somebody else has to do it. And, and, and you've heard this, this phrase before, jack of all trades, master of none, right? And you've got some people that are doing 5,000 things and one person over here who has the gift of criticism. <laughs> right? And you're like, come on. How about you, you lend a hand? Right? And, and so my, my challenge to you is really just echoing what God's word says here. You've been equipped. Now go and do. And there's work to be done, brothers and sisters. Listen, um, 
I promised that I would do this. And so if you're looking for work, let me just share a place where you could serve and you don't need any experience and they'll train you up and you're behind the scenes. So if you're kind of like one of those, well, I don't want to be on the platform, Eddie. Um, no worries because you won't be. It's our tech crew. They serve faithfully week in, week out, and they're behind the scenes and they receive criticism when something goes wrong. So the fact that nothing usually goes wrong is because they're busy doing their job. And if they need help, they need laborers. I am so excited, and I hope you're excited too, that today we have all young people up there. Isn't that cool? Come on, give them up. Give them a hand. Praise God. But we need some 20, 30, 40, 50, 60, 70, 80 people up there too, right? If, you, if you're not plugged in somewhere, I just want to give you some, some sort of hook to hang something on. That's a great opportunity. And with many hands makes what? Light work. Light work. You see, when we're all doing what we ought to be doing, it's a lot easier. Like you, some of you know that, uh, um, that I'm one of those crazy people that run with the snake chasers here. And if I were trying to run a, a 50K with only one leg, I might get really tired really fast, right? I won't get, a, I'll tell you this, I won't get a mile. And, um, and if you walked by and you're like, um, why are you hopping, Ed? I was, well, I'm, I'm running 50K. I, I mean, I got, I got to get there some way. Is something wrong with your left leg? Oh, no, just using my right leg. And you contain yourself. You're not, you're going to laugh at me, but you're, um, might be easier if you use both legs. Oh, sure. But you know, this one's taking a day off. So I thought I'd just, you know, you get the analogy. This is our calling. It's what we're gifted to do, which leads when, 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 when those brothers and sisters do all the work and others are not doing any work, it leads to burnout. Um, and it's a shame to see that. It even leads to discouragement or bitterness. Um, as one theologian said, quote, attendance is a poor substitute for participation in ministry, end quote. And he's right. Imagine a recruit saying to the sergeant, well, at least I showed up, Sarge. I imagine push-ups in his future. <laughs> what do you think? All right, so that's our first point. The second point is asking the question, how long does the body use these gifts? Look at verse 13. He says, until we atta all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood the, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. The short answer is, how long do we use these gifts? Well, until we're in glory, right? But it's clear that the trajectory of the saints, where we're headed, is toward ever-growing maturity. So as we use these gifts, we're growing internally. Now, yes, there is, there is that component where you can expect external construction as well as we are internally growing and constructing. That's going to be the natural, the, the natural fallout of internal construction. And so we see three different things that lead to faithful work and internal construction. Um, when we're equipped, faithful work, internal construction, it leads to, first of all, you see on the screen, um, if we could go to the next one, um, unity of the faith. 
unity of the faith. Now, like verse 5, this is the body of New Testament doctrine. Notice he says um, here, until we attain to the unity of the faith. It's the faith that I want to point out, that article. We're not talking about belief. We're talking about all of the doctrine in God's word. Listen, if you want to be spiritually mature, and I know that you do if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, you cannot do that apart from God's word. It is impossible. You can't do it. And if you're wondering, man, why does it seem like I I just am not, my I's are not getting dotted and my T's aren't getting crossed in my life. I just keep falling down the same path. I just, I'm not learning. My question is, are you with the text? You got to get in the word, the faith, the doctrine, all that we believe. And when we're, when we're steeped in that brothers and sisters, that's where that unity comes from. We collectively rejoice in the preaching of this word. And we collectively have a copy of God's word open. So like the Bereans, we are being more noble than the rest because we're studying God's word together with the pastor, also holding him accountable. Have you noticed this in the scriptures? The young adult ministry, we're working our way through 1 Corinthians. And I find it very fascinating that, that both in the Corinthian letters, as well as a lot of the other epistles, that Paul is bringing to bear constructive criticism on the church, and that is not being directed to the elders alone. It's being directed to the entirety of the church. Did you notice that? Look at the introductions. To the saints at, and then fill in the blank, Corinth, Ephesus, Colossae. What's going on there? He's saying, church, you are responsible for this. The sin, we pick on the Corinthians, and rightly so, and, but American culture doesn't end too far removed, amen? And so, so we pick on the Corinthians, and we're like, oh, what a messed up group. Yeah, but remember that when he brings chastisement to this local body, it's not, now, elders, if you got your act together, things would be better. No, he's bringing to bear criticism to the whole body. So note this, when it comes to, when it comes to uh, the, the discipline of elders, who does that? You do. But how can you hold elders accountable if you don't know this book? Do you see? In your own walk, and understand this, for my own sake, I need you in God's word. I need you to hold me accountable just as much as you need me holding you accountable. You see, the synergy that God has created in the body of Christ, we need each other, brothers and sisters, but we can't do that work of the ministry unless we're in the Word. Because the Word's going to show us what I ought not to do and tell me what I ought to be doing. And then the work of the Holy Spirit within me is going to bring conviction when I'm not doing it. So we see the unity of the faith. We rally around the solid doctrine. Now, listen, if it's around a program, if, it's, if our unity is around a man, if our unity is around a style of worship, there is only going to be, watch this, superficial unity. Because I have a question. What happens when that program no, no longer um, exists? Well, we lose our unity. What happens when the man retires? There's no unity. 
Uh, you see this oftentimes in churches. And this is a simple question would be, are you here for the program? Are, are, you, are you here for the man? Are you here for the, for the, for the music? What happens if, if the styles change, genres change, etc.? You see, all of these things are, are, are fluctuating. They're variables. They are, they're here one minute, gone the next. It, it grieves my spirit to hear somebody who says, well, I'm, a, I'm an RJ man myself. Ah, for me, I'm a, I'm a Mooneyham man myself. Did those guys save you? No, they sure didn't. Now, they are faithful to preach God's word. Absolutely. But your faith rests on Jesus Christ and his finished work on the cross. And we celebrate the men that, that God calls to this pulpit to proclaim. But understand that when you and I start doing that, what we're doing is exactly what we see in 1 Corinthians, in those first chapters. We are creating division. And I beg you, I plead with you, don't fall into that trap. Don't, don't be the armchair quarterback and be like, wow, music, Eddie was kind of off today. Oh, kind of off, my goodness. That guy ain't been on for years. Um, <laughs> brothers and sisters, we rally around the cross. You, you, you see where we're going with this. So there's unity of faith. We rally around the solid doctrine of the word proclaimed. But secondly, notice, he says, until we attain the unity of the faith, and note this, the knowledge, the knowledge of the Son of God. The Greek word here is gnosis. But here, Paul adds a preposition to the word, causing it to mean deep knowledge, or watch this, full knowledge. Now, question. Is there any such thing as having arrived at the full knowledge of Christ this side of glory? Not at all. Now, talking to some people, you might think they arrived. And if you are among those, please talk to me because I need to take notes from you. Um, but there's always something to learn. We know this, right? So think of a student who writes a 10-page paper, hands it into his teacher. The teacher grabs it, looks at the title, and this is what he or she reads. The entire history of the universe in 10 pages. Wow, that's, that's something. 10 pages, the entire history of the universe. Talk about condensed cliff note version, right? But talking to some people, you would think that that's exactly where they're at. Like the people where, you're, where you're, you're speaking to them and just potentially you're sharing something God's shared with you. And every time you share something like, oh yeah, I know that. Like, okay, is there anything you don't know? <laughs> Um, we, we boast in Christ and what he has done in us and the knowledge that he brings to us. But the reality is none of us have arrived, but this is where we're going. We are arriving. One of my favorite passages is Philippians 1, 6. The work that he began in you, he will bring to completion. But understand there is baked into that, that truth, the fact that I haven't arrived. I'm not there yet. I'm being matured. And so are you. This is part of what we're busy about in, in this text that Paul is saying to us is we need these gifts for that perfecting so that we can do the work of the ministry um, and so that we can glorify Christ 
in us, that internal construction, that unity of the faith, the knowledge of Christ. But look at the third thing. He says, spiritual it is spiritual maturity. This ultimately is the destination. If you look at it with me, he says, to equip the saints for the work of the ministry, for the building of the, Christ, uh, the body of Christ, until we attain the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. That's the destination. That's where we're going. God wants for you and for me to be conformed to the image of his son, the standard that God measures us by is not one another. You know, if I'm honest with myself, I sure am glad that I'm not the standard. And yet, there's a funny thing that as God calls to us, and we receive that gift of grace, and we walk in him, the idea is that we will be maturing to the place where we are turning to other people around us and saying, follow me as I follow Christ. Uh, for you note takers, jot down Philippians chapter, um, chapter four. I'm sorry, um, chapter three. Chapter 3, verse 17. Listen to what Paul says. You can turn there if you like. I'll read it to you. This is Philippians 3, 17. He says, Brothers, join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. You see, it wasn't just Paul that he was saying, hey, follow me. He's saying, look, in your congregation, you have people that are walking the walk and talking the talk. Do what they do, because then the same thing is going to happen. That I have a little footnote here in my Bible. If you go a little bit further to Philippians 4, um, in verse 9, he says this, what you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things and the God of peace will be with you. I have written above this, I say, I must be able to say this to Anna, Katie, Liam, Rachel, my students, the church, the world. And so it is with you, brothers and sisters. That is what God has called us to. And you see this on the screen. The unity of the faith, and you see a little, di a, little, a little icon of the Bible. So the sound doctrine that we rally around and are unified around, and the knowledge of Christ, this deep knowledge that we're growing in, and spiritual maturity, because the idea is that we're on an incline, right? And anybody ever tried to climb up a, a muddy slope? Right, we were talking about this this morning in our young adult ministry. Have you ever stopped trying to climb or anybody, any crazy people try to climb up the escalator backwards? Come on, I know there's some in here. Yeah, I know who you are. Um, it's my bros. Uh, and, and what happens when you stop climbing? You're going back down, right? And so it is, we're, if you will, it's almost like a slippery slope. We keep, we keep having to move forward because the minute I stop maturing, I'm going backward. You, you see that, right? You see that in your own walk. And, and, and so, so this, is, this is the action point. To, to, wrap, to, to wrap this up in a, in a simple action point, have we arrived? No, of course we haven't. So do you see growing maturity in your life? In other words, are you in the word? Are you in the word? 
Are you, are you growing in that deep knowledge of Christ and the truth of his word as the spirit works within you in that internal construction that we talked about earlier? Are you the same today that you were a month ago or a year ago or when you were first saved? If the answer is that you don't see growth, if you're like Eddie, if I'm honest with you, I don't see growth in me. I'm not growing. Then may I just, as one brother that unfortunately has a few too many t-shirts of his own to another, say, will you repent today? And don't, don't do one of those, I, I'm going to do better. No, you're not. That's the problem. You're doing it on your own. And you can only do a divine calling through divine empowerment. So it's just yielding to the spirit and saying, Lord, here am I. I can't do what you've called me to do, but you've promised that you can do it through me. And so I yield to you. If that's you, my, my invitation to you today is, will you please do business with the Lord before you walk out of this building? Because he's been waiting for you. The third thing that is in our text this morning is what is avoided by using the gifts? What, what, when we do this, what do we avoid? Very quickly, um, look at verse 14. He says, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. When we follow the pattern of scripture, submitting to the gift of the elders in the church as they pray and teach pure doctrine, as you and I get busy with the faithful work and inter internal construction, which ultimately leads to these three things, the unity of the faith, the knowledge of Christ and spiritual maturity, then we avoid spiritual immaturity. He uses the word children in this text. Did you see that? It literally means one who does, does not talk. We're talking about babes in Christ. And sometimes it's, it's, it's incredibly humbling when you have to admit it in your own life. And it's incredibly shattering when you see brothers and sisters walking in that way. This, this spiritual immaturity that we know better than. So again, just think Corinthians who boasted in their spiritual prowess and yet were not spiritually mature at all. Spiritual immaturity is characterized by this. You'll see it on our next slide. Um, fads. These are popular um, sentiments um, that you see, things that come and go in terms of being, quote unquote, seeker sensitive, which is kind of a misnomer because um, we read in Romans chapter three that nobody seeks after God, Right. So how does that happen? How did you get saved? Well, God's word tells us, and this is, comes from the sound doctrine, is that God draws you to himself, right? And so, so this idea of, oh, we can't do that because then the lost people will walk out of here. Are you kidding me? Everybody that's going to be saved, that should be saved, will be saved. Do you believe that? I hope so, because that's what God's word tells us. God's not going to lose any of them. Everybody that's going to be saved, that has to be saved, that should be saved, will be saved because we serve a sovereign God who won't let anybody perish. Are you with me? Does this make sense? Okay, so this is really, really important for us to grab a hold of this sound doctrine. So, so these fads that come and go, oh, we've got, we've got, to, we've got to spice it up. We, we need laser lights. 
We need laser lights, John. That's the problem. Fog and fog. Yes, fog. They'll come if we have fog. They won't see us, but they'll come. Right? It's silly stuff. No, I don't want you here because of lasers. I want you here because of Jesus. Because Jesus is going to save. Oh, dear brothers and sisters, may we not be caught up in the fads. Also, false doctrine. Now, this is just outright heresy, right? Just, just lies and, and shallow doctrine. Now, they never get into the deep waters, those that are in the shallow doctrine, theology, apologetics. Not here at the tab. I appreciate the teaching that goes deep into the deep waters because that's where I'm going to learn. Because look, there's, there's battle out there. I don't need a water pistol. I, I need a bazooka out there. You follow what I'm saying? Right? And, and this is what we've been called to. Equip me. Show me how to use mortar, man. I, I, I don't want a slingshot. I think sometimes we see the casualties in Christ's bride because we're busy playing with toys, not tools. And if we yield to those, first, those three things that we saw, the faith, the knowledge of Christ, the, the spiritual maturity, then we're going to be able to combat this nonsense that Paul tells us we will. Also, um, when, you, when you consider this, these characterize these fads, false doctrines, shallow doctrine. It characterized, again, to pick on them, the Corinthian church. As Paul says here, so many of our churches in America today are tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine. In other words, to put it in one word, they are gullible. They're gullible. Right? Now, if you look up, you'll see the word gullible on the ceiling. Please don't look up. <laughs> Some of you are like, mm, mm. <laughs> no, seriously. If I know this, you can't pull one over on me. Now, when I visited West Virginia for the first time, visiting Rachel's folks, um, I, I was, I, 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 met, I got to meet, I was privileged to meet um, her grandfather that was still living. And he was joking with me that he was going to take me snipe hunting. Anybody know snipe? He said, okay, I already, <laughs> so you're like, yeah, I had to do a little snipe hunting myself when I was a youngster. Um, no such thing as snipes. Um, so I praise God for that because when I started teaching in, sun, in uh, Southern Virginia, I had some students that wanted to take Mr. Mac hunting. And they're like, Mr. Mac, you want to go hunting? I said, sure. That shook them up a little bit to begin with. But then when they're like, yeah, we'll take you snipe hunting. And they're like, I was like, oh, you will. And then I shared with them that I knew what they were talking about. They're like, oh, man. Now, what was the difference between my making a fool of myself and not was the fact that I was already equipped with that knowledge. Too many of the church are not equipped with biblical truth, and so they are gullibly led astray by every wind of doctrine. You see that. And so this is a clarion call by God through the Apostle Paul to us to make sure that we're in the word, that we have that deep knowledge of Christ, that we're spiritually maturing so that we don't get caught up into that. But not just that. Look at the next thing he says, human cunning. This literally means dice playing. It's basically dishonesty of any sort. And then he uses the word um, he uses the words craftiness. This is clever manipulation um, of error made to look like the truth. 
Just trying to get, get, basically get your money. Think prosperity gospel. Think Joel Olstein, Benny Hinn, those guys, right? Who, who are just, they're trying to take God's word and twist it so that they can get rich off of your hard-earned money that should be stewarded for the furtherance of the gospel, not lining somebody's pockets. You follow where I'm going. God's word enables us to combat that. So, action point. Does this describe you? Are you caught up in every fad? Are you led astray? Are you, are you easily swayed by, by trickery or by clever manipulation? Again, the faith, knowledge of Christ, and an increasing spiritual maturity guards against such spiritual immaturity. So if we lean into that, so next slide, please, if we could. If we lean into unity of the faith, knowledge of Christ, spiritual maturity, the result is going to be rather speaking, this is verse 15, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up into every way into him who is the head into Christ. Two results of this. One, speaking the truth, he says. It literally means for you note takers, truthing it. Speaking, preaching, proclaiming truth in the context of living out that truth. And remember, who's he writing to? Just the pastors? All of us. This is what happens. In other words, we say somebody who walks the walk and talks the talk. It's both and, not either or. We have lots of people who may talk the talk, but they don't walk the walk, and that's what we're wanting. We want both and, and that's what he's saying. Now, it must be sound in doctrine and growing in spiritual maturity, but what gets in the way? Uh, this quote that I heard years ago, it's actually on, um, it's on the Jesus Freak um, uh, CD, if, for those of you that are DC Talk fans, uh, this, this quote. The problem is Christians who acknowledge Jesus with their lips, but deny him with their lifestyle. That is what an unbelieving world simply finds unbelievable. This is what gets in the way. When we're not truthing it because our lifestyle doesn't match what we say we believe. You say of a Sunday morning, I love Jesus, and then all week you are busy tearing somebody up with your gossip. Or tearing somebody down. Or, or you're um, habitually lying. Or maybe you're just a closet drinker and you're, you're drunk more times than you're sober. Whatever it is, you fill in the gap. As you read through the scriptures, there's plenty here that's going to convict all of us. And the, and the point is, is that God is saying to you, to me, you need to truth it. You need to match what you say you believe with how you walk. Or the other way around. Watch, match how you walk with what you believe, what you say you believe. The second thing is that the result is that we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head into Christ. We look like Jesus to a world in desperate, in desperate need of him. Now you see that little cherub face up there? That's Liam many moons ago. He's, he's a grown boy now. Um, uh, uh, and uh, it's real simple, isn't it? You expect your kids to look like one of you. Right? I mean, if they don't, then question marks start happening, and we'll talk about that later. But, right? So, so it's funny, I, I'm, I'm, I'm teaching a couple courses over at Westover um, this year, and uh, I had one of my students come up to me. He's like, Wait, wait, you're Liam's dad? Yeah. 
he looks just like you. I'm like, well, don't hold that against him, please. Um, but, but we expect that, right? Like, you know, oh, Katie just looks just like you. Oh, my goodness. Like, like well, she didn't look like me. She acts like me. God bless her. Um, but, but we expect that. And so here's my question. Do you look like your dad? Well, what do you mean, Eddie? Your father, if you're in Christ, is our heavenly father, God, right? Do you look like God? Or do you look like old man, think, think before Christ, do you look like Satan? You remember that story or that, that passage in the Gospels where there's back and forth between Jesus and the Pharisees? And they're like, oh, no, Moses, Abraham, they're our fathers. He's like, no, 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 that's not your father. Your father is the devil himself because you speak his language. Ouch. And there are times where our Savior has to say to you, to me, get behind me, Satan. Why? Because you're speaking the things of Satan, not the things of God. You're doing the things of Satan, not the things of God. And so I want to leave you with this. I, I would love to finish, but we've already gone a little bit past time. And um, if, if Pastor Danny gives me a chance, I'll, I'll wrap up this, this passage and, and we'll close. But this is a good place for us to stop. We are to grow up into every way into Jesus Christ. We are to resemble our Heavenly Father. And when we don't, the world has a giant question mark in their mind. This doesn't make sense to me. You say you believe this, but you do this. And if that's you this morning, I've got great news. We serve a God who forgives. You know this. Because as far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. Only you have to confess. Because when you confess your sin, he is faithful and just to forgive you of your sin and to cleanse you from all unrighteousness. Will you go to the last slide for me, please? And we'll just close by reading this passage. Look at verse 16. When all of this is at work, doing what we're called to do, he says, from whom the whole body Jesus Christ, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it itself, it builds itself up in love. Why? Because the greatest of these things is love. Brothers and sisters, I do believe that our best years are ahead of us, but it will not happen unless we do what this text says. We embrace the tools that God has given us through Christ, and we employ them. So if this morning, if in reading this text, you can't necessarily celebrate it because the reality is you're not walking in it, I wanna invite you this morning, I wanna invite you this morning to make that right with God. So if you would bow your heads with me. Thank you for joining us for today's edition of Tabernacle Today. To learn more about The Tabernacle, please visit our website at www.thetabernaclefamily.org. There you may access additional Tabernacle Today podcasts as well as other resources. If you don't have a church home or happen to be visiting the area, we'd love to welcome you to one of our weekly services. Thanks for listening, and we look forward to seeing you back for another edition of Tabernacle Today.